eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, and today we have the honor of sitting here speaking with Christopher Hamza. How are you doing today, Christopher? I'm doing good. Doing good. And you? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm so glad that you could be on the show today because I really want to ask you, what is your story? So, uh, you know, my company, uh, we kind of got here out of desperation. Uh, you know, about five years ago, uh, we're really kind of down in the dumps. I mean, we had this idea that just didn't work, and we didn't really know how to turn it around, and uh, through a, a call to Hail Mary, but... Uh, through kind of this Hail Mary idea, uh, the whole thing just turned around and it's all been, uh, all been going uphill since then. So I appreciate the Cliff Notes version. I want the whole story. <laughs> how did you, how did you get here? Who are you? And, and, you know, really, what have you done? Sure. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, our family in general has always been kind of entrepreneurs. I mean, we don't really work well with other people or for other people is a better way to put it. Um, and so I've tried a lot of different things in my life. I mean, I was thinking back the other day of the first, I guess, online venture I've ever tried. Uh, and it was a uh, scooter website. And so this would have been, wow, 15 years ago now. Uh, and you remember those scooters when they first came out, they're like the 49cc, you know, you, as, you, know you step on it, it has the, throttle, the control on the throttle. Uh, folds up so you can kind of take it with you. Uh, and this was first right when AdWords first came out. And so, you know, senior in high school thinking, man, this is the coolest thing in the world that someone types in scooter. Um, ad pops up, they click on it. Uh, yeah, that's not really my first uh, first real endeavor. Um, and there's been a lot since then. I mean, I've, I've owned restaurants. Um, I've, yeah, just done a lot of things uh, in my life that, kind of all centered around, uh, you know, e-commerce and really trying to figure out what, you know, how to best use the skills that I've learned. And, you know, it's funny too, because I originally went to college thinking I was going to be a lawyer. And I thought that was my path. I just want to be, you know, get 300 bucks an hour, work 40 hours a week. And then as I graduated and got into it, I'm like, I, I can't charge for my time. You know, it feels like when you charge someone for a, you know, a product, it just seems more fair, you know? I, I make something cost me a dollar. I sell for two. It just seems like a more, a more meaningful way to, uh, to do things. And so, uh, kind of gravitate toward those types of businesses. So. so let's talk about, um, let's talk about the, the chronology, right? So you, so you go and you try the, the lawyer thing. seems like that didn't really work out for you. wasn't really a good fit. What did you then do? Because I feel like a lot of people, they may be stuck in something where they know it's not what they really want, but they may just not know what to do to change it. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a, um, the I kind of, what, what is with T-Launch today is the, um, the technology I fell in love with, you know? So it's one of those things where like, I wasn't satisfied in kind of my day job. And so it's just kind of looking for what, what excites me. And so there's this technology called print on demand. Uh, DTG is the, the one that I really fell in love with. Basically, how do you, instead of using a, a printer on, on paper, you print on a t-shirt. And so that just excited me. It just really excited me. And then I tried to figure out how do I do something I love, but then actually make it a business that actually makes money. 
because uh, it's all well and good to do something that you enjoy and something that's interesting, but if it doesn't actually pay the bills and it really doesn't, <laughs> really doesn't do, uh, do much good. But it took me a while to get there. I mean, I did a few things in the middle that uh, I thought I liked, but then again, you could do something for a year or two years. Like I did online marketing for two years and it was fun for a while, but it wasn't, wasn't fulfilling, you know, helping other people make money is okay. Uh, but it's not what I want to do. You know, I want to spend my time working on stuff that makes, you know, me money. <laughs> Definitely nothing wrong with that. Fact, <laughs> I think there's a whole lot of right with that. So can you talk about like how you really came up with the idea? Like what was the, what was the catalyst for building the company? It was really, it was uh, Facebook groups. I mean, you know, although they're used a lot today, back five years ago, they were really strong. I mean, to go in there and just have these uh, unbelievable discussions about business models and things they want to do and things they didn't like about the current business that exists. And it was a really, uh, it was a fun time because people really gave away a lot. You know, now I think people are a little more guarded uh, after too many people kind of stole people's ideas and, uh, you know, kind of misuse this uh, freedom of information that was out there. Uh, people got a lot more guarded, but it was fun. I mean, you just have these, you know, these groups that have, you know, a thousand people in them and they're all just sharing ideas and processes. And so it really just, it came out of uh, just listening to what people were looking for and where there was a kind of a hole in the market. And so did you just like get out a crayon and start drawing on some t-shirts? Like what, what was the actual like process? <laughs> oh yeah. So, you know, we, uh, so five years ago, we bought the first, our first printer. It's called the Cornet. Uh, it cost $180,000. Uh, and these things basically can do like 15 shirts an hour, which at the time we thought that's great. But then when you realize how many shirts per hour you need to make to actually make any money and pay back this machine, it was a, uh, it was a very uh, enlightening process, you know? And through that, we, you know, we had the technology, we, had, we could do it, but we didn't have the delivery me mechanism. You know, it was like, okay, this is great. We can print shirts, but how are we going to sell them? How are we going to find customers who would find this service valuable? Because a lot of people can make shirts, but the question is who needed a one-off you know, one at a time kind of deal. And that's why kind of these groups, we figured out that although these kind of Facebook marketers don't like risk. So they're like, Hey, how do I throw up a store, throw up thousands and thousands of designs and not have to worry about buying, you know, 10 of each of them and stick them in a warehouse. And it kind of just, uh, it clicked, you know, the right technology, right time. And then, uh, you know, they figured out the, the mechanism, which was the app that made it all work. That's awesome. So, when did you, when did you really feel like, oh wow, we are really onto something big? So after like the, so it it took off like a rocket. I mean, after the second month, went from zero to a half million dollars uh, in sales, and it was just like, it, it, it couldn't have gone. I mean, we never thought it'd go that well. You know, it's like okay, we're just trying to basically. The goal was to keep afloat. How do we sell enough to keep the doors open? How do we service the debt? And it just took off like crazy and really helped to. I mean, it was a first few weeks pretty tough because we didn't have any sales and then just slowly add customer after customer and it just, uh, it just took off. And so, yeah, I'd say about the third month we knew we had, we had a winner there. So. And how did you actually go from no customers, no sales to getting those first few customers? And then how did that, how did you roll that into the rocket ship of taking off? So luckily it was all, I mean, those Facebook groups just seeded everything. You know, once one person you tell, you know, you throw them and even like now you can't, these groups who want to make you pay to, to just mention your business. You just threw a, 
you know, hey, I'm here. This is my app. Check it out. And just, and then, you know, people saw it and then people told their friends and it just, it was a, an amazing just snowball down a hill of, of, of customers. So from that beginning, where are you now? So, you know, it obviously, you know, slowed down after a while because as in any industry matures, you have a lot more competitors that, that jump in. Uh, but it's still the same kind of roots, you know, basically we just were finding, you know, uh, I, just, I mean, it's funny, like I probably had conversations with, you know, 20,000 different, you know, e-commerce store owners and figure out what, what do they need? What are their pain points? What products do they want? What's, you know, what service do they want? And uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been nuts. Like you just said, you know, in five years, we probably had 120,000 Shopify store owners that have used our service and we've had to keep evolving. I mean, what we're, when we first started was just t-shirts. And now we're probably 40% shirts and 60%, you know, blankets and mugs and a million other things because that's where the market went. You know, as, as Facebook evolved, as e-commerce store owners evolved, I mean, selling one thing over and over. And I think this part is it was oversaturated. I mean, think about like Teespring and all these other companies that just sold millions and millions and millions of shirts. Everybody who's on Facebook has probably bought, you know, a dozen novelty shirts and they're ready for something, something else. And so we're really constantly trying to give them new products that they can actually sell. So I feel like most people in their lives will never actually be in the position that you are now. Like they will never have built a company that quickly, that incredibly and built a company of, you know, of that size. What's it actually like for you day in, day out to be you? <laughs> I mean, I'm, uh, I'm my own worst critic. So although we've had a lot of success, I see, I see the failures more than the successes just because it almost came too easy. I feel like if it was more harder fought, you know, you would have felt a little bit better about, you know, uh, where you're at versus like, it was so easy and then it became harder. And then it's like, you know, what did I do? You know, what can I do differently? Um, uh, but it, it's amazing. I mean, it really is. I mean, just to see, cause I've had a lot of failures before this. Like I've, like I said, I went to a lot of restaurants and all of them failed, uh, miserably in the end. It's like, uh, to have this many failures and one monster success, it's a, uh, it's a gratifying feeling, you know, because there's a lot of times, you know, with all those failures, we were just given up, went back to being a lawyer and just said, you know, I've tried it and I failed and I moved on, but, uh, it just, that's not, that's not how I felt. I felt like there's something out there that I can do that could be successful and it luckily it worked out. <laughs> so going from the different venture to different venture, being a lawyer, doing all the things that you've done, do you feel like you had to go through all of those failures or do you feel like you could have just gone straight to the big win? Because I feel, and the reason I ask is because I talk to a lot of people every day and uh, some people tend to think that um, you can just, you know, be here day one and then just hop over that learning curve and just instantly be successful day three without having to go through the the difficult times or the, the struggles, the failures. Like, was there a way to shortcut it or do you just have to go through all of those things? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there is. I mean, even though this business, although it was successful and still is successful, there's a lot of rough times where if you didn't, you don't remember worse times, I don't think you actually could have made it through the tough times. Uh, because that's the promise. Like if it's really easy and it's always been easy, uh, minute something goes sideways, you're going to think you don't know what to do versus like when you've gone 
broke and you've lost a lot of money. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's humbling, you know, to the point where you just know what to do versus like, if you didn't, if you've never had a failure in your life, you wouldn't know how to handle it versus like now, I mean, the ups and downs are nothing compared to like when we first started this business, we were $750,000 in debt and we had no way out. I mean, the equipment was worthless. We had no ideas. I mean, we could have easily gone bankrupt and that would have been it. But since we've got surpassed that, any other obstacle seems uh, tame in comparison. So now that you're here, what does the future look like for you? Yeah, so we're still, I'm still pushing hard. I mean, for me, I still, I don't think I've kind of reached my, uh, my summit yet. Um, I think a lot of things we've done um, have applications in other industries. And so we're trying to say, instead of be trying to be number one in what we're doing now, how do we take what we've learned and go into another industry that doesn't even know this technology exists. This, and that's what's been really interesting because although like in the Facebook marketer world, what we're doing is pretty commonplace, in corporate America, they have no idea this technology exists. In education, they have no idea this technology exists. And so that's where I see, uh, that's where I see us going, is figuring out where's the next frontier uh, and go in there first instead of just trying to, you know, because I mean, there's a lot of comparison industry there's a lot of, uh, you know, price is a huge issue and there's margins are decreasing. So it's kind of like that blue ocean strategy. It's like, how do I find this blue ocean instead of just fighting in this red ocean? So. so as you've been on this journey, what do you think some of the biggest lessons you've learned you know, as, an, as a human being, as an individual, as an entrepreneur have been? I mean, never be afraid to pivot. I mean, that's one thing where, although the business is technically the same, we've taken a lot of different approaches to things. And I think that's why we've been successful is we're small enough where we are agile enough where we can make decisions quickly. You know, big companies kind of, they're, they're, they're hard to move. You know, they're hard to turn around. And for us, we've just constantly, something isn't working, the sales are slumping, we just pivot and pivot and pivot. And I think that's, that's a big lesson for people because sometimes they have, your original idea was X and you made a lot of money doing X and then it starts going, wrong you don't know how to go to why you're just like i want to keep keep trying keep pushing the same way it's like no i just gotta you know try something different and keep uh keep finding new and different ways to again don't give up on what you've already built but find different ways to leverage the you know the technology and the knowledge that you've accumulated so you probably do a lot of media appearances and you probably come on a lot of shows and, and talk to a lot of people what are the what are the th things that people don't ask you about that they should? Like, what are the things that you think people need to hear from you, but nobody really has yet? It's a tough one. I mean, I have, actually, this is my only third podcast. Uh, I'm trying to kind of put myself out there. I'm kind of a, uh, a hermit by nature. But, um, you know, I think the biggest, uh, I guess, point of our story is perseverance. Because I've seen so many of these storms that we work with that when times get tough, they kind of give up. You know, and I understand sometimes it's not a necessity because the cash flow is gone and they just don't know what to do, but uh, it's really about just not giving up, you know, and that's when, and then be a little more frugal. Like some people then start making money, you know, they start buying Lamborghinis and beach houses and whatever. It's like, no, you got to keep the money around. I mean, you got to gotta have that rainy day fund. I mean, I kind of learned that in the restaurant business because you never, you don't make money every month in the restaurant business, you know, in December and January, you're losing money. So you got to make sure that the money you made the other 10 months you know, you're squirreling that away because you just never know when you're going to need it. And I've seen most of our good customers that have, that have failed is it's cash flow. You know, a few bad months and you're living on the uh, kind of the bubble and you didn't have that cash flow, then it's, it's over. And it could have been a successful business that we just had, 
you know, a rough few months. But uh, that's one thing that I really try to tell people is he's got to got to be a little bit frugal, you know, and I'm not saying live like, you know, uh, you know, one room apartment and one pair of pants, but you just got to be ready for the hard times because there's never I'm making, there's no entrepreneur ever that said you know, every month's been, you know, glorious. I mean, there's always bad times. So. Yeah, I bet. And I feel like without perseverance, without that desire to just keep going and unrelenting, just pushing forward, moving forward, I mean, there's no way you're going to be able to to win because there's so many other people out there who are willing to put that in. It's almost like that is that's kind of like the beginning. That's like the benchmark, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You really got, and that's one thing where anybody tells me they want to start their own business. I'm like, you got to be ready to put massive hours in. You got to be ready to have, you know, like for us, I mean, the first three years of our business, we lost money, you know, but never, and you know, anybody would have said in that situation, Hey, you probably should have gave up and uh, got a real job. But if you feel strongly about what you're doing, you really feel like uh, you have something to give the world. I mean, you just got to keep pushing, you know, and find ways like for me, I mean, the first three years I had another job. You know, I did that digital marketing, you know, in the, in the daytime and then did this at night. And you just, you have to find ways to really uh, uh, do what you love and really you know, push through all the, the failures. So. Absolutely. And I do think that every time you do fail, it's kind of like life saying, all right, you tried this one particular thing. It didn't work. It didn't work. But here's like the little nugget of wisdom that you can take with you, put in your metaphorical backpack, and then keep on, keep on going down the road, right? Because yep. it, like, life will discipline you if you're not doing the right things. Like, you will get disciplined, and a lot of the times, it's pretty painful. Yep, exactly. So, I'm curious because I, th- I th- and I think about this a lot. Like, how big? do you want to take it right because you know if you if you look in history at some of the most successful people in the history of mankind um they've done incredible things like take augustus caesar for example that dude literally acquired and of course adjusted for today's inflation but he literally acquired 2.6 trillion dollars of wealth in his lifetime he owned egypt at one point that's nuts, right? And I feel like he just followed his ambition. Mm-hmm. So how big do you want to take it? How big do you want to go? <laughs> not that big. Uh, for me, I'm not. I'm not a good manager of people, and I don't want to have, you know, thousands of employees. I mean, I really, you know, at this level, I, I enjoy what I do. You know, we only have six employees. Uh, it's easy to manage. You know, it's one of those things where I, I couldn't imagine having. Like I toured one of our one of our suppliers the other day. And it has 400 employees and it has, you said he has 1.4 million square footage of warehouse space. I'm like, I could do that. I would just freak out by the enormity of the overhead. And it just, yeah, I like being small. I mean, this is, this is the size I like. And then I don't have any ideas of grandeur either. Cause I don't want to be a billionaire. <laughs> I just want to live, you know, be good at something, you know, live a good life. And yeah. So no. So what does that good life look? like for you for me I'm, I'm a very simple person like i live in south dakota i mean you can live like a king for very little i've never liked fancy cars or fancy houses and it just uh you know for me it was 
you know, when, when I was younger, you know, my parents were broke a few times. And so I just love the safety net. Like I always feel think I'm odd because I like plan out how many years of, uh, of runway I have in my personal life. Like how much money, basically if tomorrow, you know, I get, you know, I couldn't work, you know, how many years could I be okay for? And that's kind of how I plan it out. And my goal is how do I get to, you know, 20, 30 years of runway. And then I'm, I'm probably, I'm happy at that level. <laughs> so then it seems like you're a, work to live kind of guy not a live to work kind of guy i'm trying to be i mean it's, it's one of those things where like when you're broke you just uh, it's easier to just justify working all the time and then you kind of my problem was i've i've found haven't found anything to replace work with yet uh but i'm definitely trying because yeah it was like when you needed to work it was it was okay not like you don't need to work how do you disconnect a bit and do other things and just try to uh not be a workaholic you know before it's easy to justify in your mind it's like i have to do this and now like i don't i don't but now what do i do you know because unfortunately that's how my dad was and he's on restaurants forever and he just 80 hours a week was normal you know and so that's what i thought was normal and now i'm like okay i literally don't want to work 80 hours a week now what do i do with those other you know 30 hours and still uh, still trying to figure that out well that's a i think it's a really good problem to have and <laughs> It's a lot of fun, right? Because, I mean, you could travel. Like, I I love playing music, and I play guitar, and, oh, man, that is fun. And, like, <laughs> I don't know. The, I just feel like there's always something that – there's always something exciting to, to like, you know, to, to learn about or to, or to do or to play or to explore or discover. Like, I don't know. I, I think that's exciting. It's, like, an exciting place to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately most of my uh i keep buying equipment so like i actually bought a knitting machine last year so like, you know like knit beanies it, it, it's a machine that automatically does that so like my i think my only real hobby now is like learning new processes and just trying to figure out what's the next what's the next thing and it's been i mean i have a building full of stuff that i don't use but it's uh it's intriguing because again that's what that's kind of what dtg was in the beginning nobody knew it some people, you know, adopted it early and then they became incredibly successful. So it's like, how do you find the next technology that's fun, that's interesting, kind of changes how, because you think about the way the t-shirt industry was, it was all based on large runs. You could never do one-offs. And then this technology came out and it just changed the way, think about all the things, you know, between, you know, Zazzle, Cafe Press, Amazon Merchandise would exist without that technology and just opened up. And then you think about like, you know, photo gifts in general, you know, Shutterfly and uh, Vista prints and all this stuff where businesses, these billion dollar businesses were just because they, they adopted this technology early and, and did well with it. So. So what industries do you think like are desperately in need of, of being shaken up? I know you talked a little bit about, um, education and, and corporate, but like, like how do you go out and identify, okay, these are the, these are the people, or this is the industry they need to get shaken up. I'm about to bring it hard. <laughs> so you're looking at where the, where the pain points are. So in like the B2B world, so there's a lot of these companies that they have what they call company stores. So they'll say, okay, I'm Microsoft. I'm going to give my employees $400 to spend on whatever. The problem is, is they're kind of guessing on what their employees want. So they stick in a warehouse, you know, million dollars worth of, you know, this shirt and this size and this, this, and this, if they guess wrong at the end of the year, there's a whole bunch of stuff that didn't sell. And now, so it's like, okay, how do you, how do you, and again, that's a, they call dead stock. It's a huge issue. Even the 
think of like normal retailers, you think of all these people, like there's a good article about H&M, how they have like $3.4 billion worth of unsold merchandise. Because in the traditional way of manufacturing, you just kind of had to kind of guess. And if you're wrong, then you discount to the floor until it's gone. But there are these technologies, you know, put on demand where you can say, okay, instead of guessing, obviously there's stuff you'll sell a lot of, you always are going to sell a lot of, that's fine. But sometimes you don't know, just do it one at a time. And so that's the, the world I'm excited about because again, it's a different problem that you're solving. Like in the Shopify world, it's, I have so many designs. I could never stock enough stuff. You know, I want to, I want to be agile. I want to, I want to test things. So it's a different problem that the, the corporate guys have, but it's, it's one that you've been kind of going after for a year now and people are very open by it because you explain to them that, okay, now you have this million dollars of stuff you couldn't sell. Now you say, okay, you could have, you know, although you're paying more per unit up front, now with none of this dead stock, now actually your cost per unit is actually lower. And so it's a really fun, fun thing. And then like we're getting into uh, schools, like fundraising lately too, because again, these schools are, they're, they're buying the same stuff every year. It's like, okay, this local guy has this shirt and we bought, we buy this with their logo on it every single year. And that's all we have versus like, okay, now I'm giving you, like we have, you know, blankets and hooded blankets and headphones and like all this stuff they've never seen before. And so it's just very fun, like showing people that have never, and they don't even know, like people know print man exists, but they don't quite understand it. Like, okay, I order a shirt from Cafe Press. They don't really know that's one at a time, you know, or this, this uh, pillow from Shutterfly. They don't really understand it. But once you kind of explain to them that, okay, all this stuff that you've never seen before, I can give you one at a time. You can test whatever. You can, you know, have a store like we did these school stores. We can, in a day, I can create a store of 50 different products, you know, which in any other context, that would take you months to do because you'd have to order it up, wait till it comes in, take a picture, put it online. And so it's just, it's a very fun thing to kind of take somebody who doesn't understand what you do explain it to them and then they just really get it and like it. So That's awesome. And I think it really almost speaks to, you know, solving a problem of, of waste and an overproduction. It seems like that's really tackling that problem. And, you know, I know just in America, like the food that we create and, and throw away every yeah. year. I mean, that's unreal. It is unreal how much how much waste there is. So it seems like you're really tackling uh, a really a really difficult problem, but but bringing a really interesting solution to it. Do you see this technology being able to get applied to something like food, where you know I don't I maybe don't see the the connection right now, but like industries like like food or, or agriculture or anything like that, like how can these technologies be applied to, to other industries in really uh, innovative ways? I mean, you know, and generally the, the, the ideology is, you know, just in time. And there's a lot of things where, you know, in the auto industry, that's one thing they've, uh, in Japan, I mean, they do it all the time. It's basically, I don't, why produce something in bulk and sit in a warehouse when I can just produce it and use it as I need it. So it's the same. I mean, it can be applied to any industry. I mean, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, a lot of these products are so cheap that people think it's worth the, the risk or the waste, which is silly. When you think about just all the massive amounts of, uh, let's say, you know, like soda cans. I mean, you know, soda stream actually, you know, it makes a lot more sense because you're taking all this wasteful packaging out. But again, aluminum is so cheap, people think, okay, why would I, why would I innovate when people are willing to pay that extra quarter? You know, so I definitely see eventually this is all going to come to a head when things start getting more expensive. People start really understanding the true cost of all of this waste um and so it's a good i mean I, I like what we're doing i mean i wouldn't say we're necessarily like environmental driven you know 
but it's an I like the idea of not just producing stuff for the sake of producing it. And even though like okay, it's not like getting wasted. No one's just well, it could be. I mean, look at there's always like these luxury brands. Like I forget who it was, but they every year they burn everything that doesn't sell because they don't want to have uh, last year's stuff decreasing the price of this year's stuff. You know, oh. uh, I think it's yeah, I think Burberry. Anyway, just it's nuts how. But again, it's it's one of those things where unfortunately this, these inputs are just too too cheap and they're like for some reason they're willing to do it but i think if more people are uh demanding that people are a little bit more efficient with how they uh produce things then it'll become much more important i definitely think so absolutely so does that like that ideology that philosophy of just in time of not overproducing do you think that because your company's in there or do you think your company's in that space because that's like a core value that you hold or did it just kind of you think that just kind of was was a coincidence i mean generally i mean that's i mean i'm not you know we're i'm not a wasteful person in general you know so i think it just made sense to me like why would you produce all this stuff you know because again it's 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 just a, a weird thing to think about how retail's evolved i mean obviously when there was no e-commerce you kind of had to making bulk and stick in a store. I mean, there's no way around it, but now that everything is, you know, online, there's so many things you could do uh, smarter, you know, obviously if it's made, you know, in a foreign, what's even like, I mean, we have a lot of products that we do that are made in China that they do at a one-on-time basis. You know, you could literally, if you have, let's say you're making a dress and the fabric just sitting on the, sh- you know, on the shelf in China, when the order comes, you could, you know, cut it, sew it, ship it. I mean, there's a lot of ways where it makes a lot more sense, you know, and I think probably since we've, uh, Teen Lunch has evolved. I've probably gotten a lot, much more, uh, I guess, passionate about that. And in the beginning, I probably didn't give as much of a care. But now it's just to see you, especially when you get in this corporate stuff, how much money is wasted and how much of the stuff that literally, because again, like if it's a retail store, you can just discount to the floor and then someone's going to buy it. But if it's like a brand where you're just giving it away to your employees, you can't just, you're not going to give it away. Most of the time they get, you know, they destroy it. I mean, sometimes they recycle it. If it's shirts, you can just, you know, whatever. But yeah, it's really just, nuts when you think about and that's what's issue with all these retail closings you kind of look at all these different brands and that's one of the biggest killers like forever 21 just you know again they just uh declared for bankruptcy and it's like a lot of that's because they're making the wrong merchandising decisions the stuff isn't selling they're discounting the floor their margins go to the floor and if they were a little bit smarter about how they did things um i think they'd be in much better shape so so do you think like looking 10 15 20 years out do you think there's gonna be like a, a shift where everybody's moving to this uh, to this model of of doing things or do you think it's going to be like the the really big big brands they're going to kind of do it the way they've always done it and then the the more agile innovative companies are going to are going to come up there's going to kind of be this like back and forth like how do you see that playing out in the future I mean, I think everybody's taken notice of it. Like I was reading an article about Nike the other day about how they're lo- working on these smaller runs of shoes. Instead of saying, okay, I'm going to make one shoe that I make a million pairs of, they're having these like micro collections where again, it's a much smaller batch size. And I think everybody's realizing it. And once you look at, again, you know, if you're like Nike, you're going to sell a lot of shoes. I mean, it doesn't hurt you, you know, to make a bunch ahead of time. But, and as manufacturing is coming, you know, back to the U.S. too, that's another thing. Because again, it's a lead time issue. Like if it's in China, it takes 90 days. You really have to, uh, you have to make an advance. But I think people are now looking at smarter ways to not make so much in advance. 
And I think too, is like before it was easier to forecast. You know, there's so they're just you know a handful of stores. Let's say like back in the Sears days, Sears knew exactly what they're going to sell because they had very few competitors. You kind of could really read the market. But now when you think about all these you know, direct consumer brands that are just popping up overnight. You really don't have a good idea of where your customers are, what they're going to buy. And so you just have to be more agile because otherwise you're just going to keep eating, uh, you know, lots of inventory that you just, you know, you can't move. You just don't, it, again, it's just forecasting is much, much harder in this day and age because you just don't know who's going to come up next. And they like the mattress industry. I mean, they thought they had it locked down and then Casper and Purple and all these guys just came out of the woodworks and just, you know, took all their market share because they, you know, we're more agile and, uh, and, and no one saw them coming, you know, really. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Christopher, I do want to, uh, I do want to thank you very much for, uh, for coming on the show today and, um, you know, and, and talking about this and, you know, I've had a lot of fun, so, uh, thank Me you very too. much. And, uh, you know, I do have one more question for you, then we'll wrap it on up. Um, what so i'm 24 by the way and i say that just because i want to ask specifically from my perspective uh, but what question should i be asking you that i just wouldn't think to ask <laughs> again that's a hard one i mean um yeah i don't, I don't know uh yeah i'm sorry i have no clue <laughs> all good all good well um Hey man, thank you so much again for uh, for coming on the show. I really do appreciate your time, and uh, to everybody who's watching and listening, I want to thank y'all very, very much. Uh, your time is very valuable too, so I'm glad that y'all could be with us today. And um, you know, I definitely learned a lot, so you know, I would love to hear what uh, what y'all learned too. So um, let me know. Uh, so thank you again, Christopher. Thank you everybody for uh, for watching and listening, and I'll see y'all on the next episode. Take care now.